Okay, before I get to my next guest, Dennis Walters, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two under performance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics, and their founder, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet, back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com, and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is World Golf Hall of Famer Dennis Walters. Dennis is from Neptune Township, New Jersey. Played his college golf at North Texas State, which is now the University of North Texas, and he captained them to four straight Missouri Valley Conference Championships. In 1967, he won the New Jersey Junior Championship, the Public Lynx Championship, and the Caddy Championship, becoming the first player ever to win all three amateur New Jersey titles in the same year. He qualified for the 1971 U.S. Amateur Championship and finished 11th. In 1972, he finished co-runner-up at the New Jersey State Championship. That year, he turned pro and then played over on the South African Tour. In 1974, Dennis was paralyzed from the waist down in a golf cart accident. Found his way to continue playing the game by using a customized cart built just for him. He became a trick shot artist and first appeared doing that at the 1977 PGA Merchandise Show. His Dennis Walters show has entertained tens of thousands of fans ever since. In 1978, he won the Ben Hogan Award for Courage. In 2008, he received the PGA of America's Distinguished Service Award. In 2018, Dennis was given the Bob Jones Award for Distinguished Sportsmanship in the Game. In 2019, he was inducted into the New Jersey State Golf Association and the World Golf Hall of Fames. And I'm honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Dennis, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's uh, nice to talk with you and all your listeners. Dennis, I want to start our time tonight by going back to your college days. How does a kid that held all three New Jersey amateur titles at the same time end up playing his college golf at North Texas State? 
Well, I wanted to be able to play golf all year round and play against the best players. So there were a couple of club pros in Jersey, uh, Stan Mosel and Ray Ferguson, who had gone to North Texas, and they kind of helped me go down there. And uh, I, I really had a wonderful time there, learned a lot. And uh, this was probably the most fun I've had playing golf. And Dennis, you were competing in Texas at the same time that Tom Kite, Ben Crenshaw, Bruce Litsky, all those guys are playing their college golf there in Texas, either at the University of Texas or the University of Houston. What was it like competing at the college golf level against those guys? Well, it was it was a lot of fun. It was challenging. And I really learned a lot on how to play in the wind and from hard ground and I remember at graduation, my mom said, well, Dennis, you played four years here in North Texas, and you went to school, and you're graduating. What did you learn? What was the most uh, important thing that you learned here in four years? I said, Ma, I said, you really have to learn to hit your short irons down in the wind, because if they <laughs> balloon, it's not going to work out too well. So, but it, it was a lot of fun. I had some nice uh, tournaments. I had some great teammates, and uh, it, it was—it's a whole lot different than it is now. I read where these kids go on a private jet, and they're staying in all these places and four-star hotels. We went to '63 Oldsmobile station wagon, and had uh, I think we got ten dollars a day for lunch a sleeve of balls and a Munsingwear shirt. But I I don't think they could have any more fun than we're having now. So it's, uh, it's like everything else. It's really changed. And uh, we used to get $15 a month for laundry money, the first of every month. I don't know one person in the athletic dorm that ever used that for laundry money. It was actually the biggest gambling <laughs> day of the, of the month. And, uh, <laughs> It was great. Our our coach said we could play, we could we could play, but we couldn't play for more than a quarter. But if you and I wheeled every combination every day at noon, you get a game with three foursomes, and we'd wheel every combination. Our team, our foursome against your foursome, birdies, whatever, low metal, and you'd have like seventy five bets going on at the same time it was so complicated we had we hired a kid to go with us he didn't play he just kept scoring at the end of the day he said <laughs> well you owe me 75 cents and you pay off because you could get a steak for three dollars so it was it was a lot of fun it was different and it was it was a great learning experience and Dennis, you faced those guys at the 1971 U.S. Amateur Championship, but let's also throw in some other great legends like Joe Winman and Billy Kratzer and Terry Deal, um, who would, all of those guys would go on to have great careers on the PGA Tour. And you opened up that tournament with a 71. You're right in at the top of the leaderboard. What do you remember about that tournament? I remember I played 53 holes, uh, I think I was even par one over and I shot, I shot one nine really bad. I was, I woke up that morning. I had about a seven and I was, I was throwing up and I, I threw up a couple times on that nine holes, the, the, that first nine. And then I, I think I shot like 43 or 44 and I shot like 36 on the back. 
And uh, I ended up missing. The, they took the top eight to play in the U.S. Uh, in the Masters tournament, and I missed qualifying for the Masters by two shots. And I'm still mad about that. <laughs> and you barely missed earning your tour card in 1972, and you went over to play in South Africa to compete on that tour. What made you decide to go play over there? A few of my friends had gone over there, and, and it was it was good training. There was nothing really to play in over here. I uh, very little to play in. I, the tournaments I was playing in were playing some state opens, and I, one tournament I played in was the Egg City Open up in Maine, and I I finished second, won five hundred dozen eggs, which I owned for about <laughs> five minutes, and I sold it for five hundred bucks, but. I figured it would be good because a lot of those tournaments were national open tournaments, and I it was really cool because I got to play with all the all the best South African players. I played a few rounds with Gary Player, and I got to play with Bobby Locke, the Henning brothers, Bobby Cole, and uh, Simon Hobday. All all these guys who were at the time world class players, and it was it was nice. Peter Oosterhuis and. Uh, some other guys from England, but uh, it, it was really cool. It was uh, you could play four rounds, and you had caddies. You walked, and they were big tournaments, and uh, it, it was it was terrific. And Dennis, you mentioned Bobby Locke, and I've had the privilege of having Gary Player on the show several times. And Mister Player always talks about uh, Bobby Locke being the greatest putter who ever lived, but he had a very unconventional stroke. Talk about what you saw from him. Well, the biggest thing was the difference in the greens. The greens, the greens back then, everywhere were long. They were grainy, and uh, I get a kick out of hearing these greens. They say, they, "Wow, there's some grain in these greens." You know, grain in the green for me is when the the west side of the cup dies and it's white, and uh, the uh, it, it would be. Um, you know, his, his technique was, whatever his technique was, you have to believe that his mind was the strongest thing because putting's almost all mental anyhow. So, yeah, he had an unusual technique, but I can promise you he was picturing that ball going in the cup. And I played with him. I played with him about, I probably played a half a dozen rounds with him. One time he, he had a downhill line, a bunker, and he, he aimed to the right. And he and he he took like two grains of sand and he hit it up there stiff and I'm going whoa <laughs> it's a little different shot than I got but uh, now nah, he was he was something he would uh, I said Mr Locke I said every day you play you wear a white he wore like a white business shirt a narrow tie black knickers I said why do you do that he goes one less thing I have to think about so he was <laughs> uh, he was a very strong i'm sure he was a very strong-willed person who had a lot of self-confidence in his technique told me one time he he came over to the united states and he's winning all these tournaments and he said they criticized my right hand grip he said that's okay i take the checks in the left so <laughs> i mean it was uh it was great you know and uh i played in a tournament with gary player and i actually beat him and I talked to him about it till today, uh, till this day. And, uh, I said, he must have been a little nervous playing with me. And, uh, <laughs> we played together. 
in a in a at a tournament, the Raymond Floyd Open at uh, the Palm Beach Par Three course this winter. He was my partner, and uh, we had we had uh, three other people, five man scramble, and and we had such a great time. It was really cool, and we we weren't even trying to win, and we we ended up winning the tournament, and uh, we had a great time. I I uh, I picked him up and I drove him home. So we each way we spent like 40 minutes in the car together just talking about the time we played golf like 50 years ago and uh it was really cool it was probably the highlight of my winter so dennis the accident happens talk about recovering emotionally and how you were able to not let that define you well the thing about it was i was 24 i was I was almost where I wanted to go, and this happened to me. And almost every person said, too bad, you'll never be able to play golf again because you can't stand up. I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I'm laying in a hospital bed, and I figure, if I get out of this bed, it's going to be a miracle. And uh, I never thought I would accomplish anything. I I just never thought anything was possible, and, and I... I kind of, uh, I, I was about as low as you could get. I mean, people have it a lot worse than me, but I, I when it happens to you, you think you, it's the worst, you, you, you've got the worst break of all time. And it was bad, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, the, the emotional depth that I was in, it was it was horrible. And uh, But I, I, I promised myself if I ever got out of that bed, I wasn't quitting, I wasn't giving up. And I was going to try to figure out a way that I could do something. And for me, doing something meant playing golf again. And I know everyone said I'd never play golf because I couldn't stand up. So I said, I'll start hitting golf balls sitting down. My dad actually encouraged me to try to hit golf balls from my wheelchair. And and I did. And I did that for a while. And we finally came up with, with a uh, – I couldn't play golf. I was hitting balls on the range every day for about a month. And uh, but I couldn't play because I couldn't push the wheelchair all the way around the course. And we finally came up with the idea to mount a swivel seat on the passenger side of the golf cart. And that's really how I got back on the course again. I never thought I could make a career out of it, but at least I was out hitting balls and I was practicing and I was playing. And for me, it was good therapy. It was good mental therapy, good physical therapy, emotional therapy. It was far better medicine than any pill I could take. But I, I was just trying to cope with what I considered to be the most horrible, rotten situation. I never dreamed I could make a career out of it, but I just kind of started doing that. And, uh, first one I did was in 1977. And I've, I've done well over 3,000 performances since then, traveled over 3 million miles. So it's a, it's a pretty uh, amazing journey. and. I, uh, I'm glad I stuck, stuck with it. You've become one of the best trick shot artists ever. Where did the inspiration come to go that route? When I was a kid, I, I was playing in the Met Junior and I, and they, they had Paul Hahn come in and do a, do one of his golf trick shot exhibitions. Paul Hahn was the most famous trick shot guy in the six, fifties and sixties. And I was sitting, for some reason, I was in the first row. And I was 
I never said, man, I like to do that. I just said, that was really cool. And so after my accident, there were three golf courses that had benefit tournaments for me. And about when I finally got back playing again, I said to my dad, why don't we go show them that I'm actually playing golf again? And they really helped me. And he said, that's a great idea. So the first two I did, and I got a reasonable uh, response. I told people what I thought was different, playing golf this way, being paralyzed, and what was the same, how to hold the club, alignment, these types of things. And everybody was real nice about it. And then for the third one, I said to my dad, I said, you remember when I saw Paul Honey? I said, could you make me a three-foot high tee? He goes, sure. So he made me a three-foot high tee, and I got a much better reaction. So I figured maybe I'm onto something, and I want I got a film. You could rent or borrow a film from the PGA of America with Paul Hahn performing at the 1960 PGA at Firestone. And I watched, I watched that thing 500 times, and I'd say, well, I could do that one. That one I know I could do. That No, forget it. I can't do that. So I started to try and practice some of these shots, and uh, my friend Gary Wyron got me a, my first official show the next year, which was '77, and I did a I did the show at the PGA Merchandise Show with Jim Flick and Bob Tosky, and then I said I started to get a few bookings, but bookings were slim. But I was getting better because I was doing hundreds of shows at the back of the range for my dog, the birds, the squirrels, and the trees. And, uh, you know, I was going nowhere fast. And in the early 80s, my dad wrote a letter to Jack Nicholas, who at the time owned the McGregor Golf Company. And McGregor signed me to a contract. And that's really when my career took off. That was my big break. Dennis, talk about your relationship with Jack and Barbara Nicholas, I know they presented you for both the World Golf Hall of Fame and the Bobby Jones Award. Talk about your relationship with them. Well, the, the Jack Nicholas has, has been a tremendous positive influence in my career and my life in that uh, gave me that break with McGregor. And it was what was great about it is they sent me everywhere. I started doing a lot more shows. And my dad went with me the first 17 years. And so he's always had a big, uh, a big uh, influence and, and a big help to me. He wrote the forward to my book. And when I was named the winner of the Bob Jones Award, I said to my sister, Barbara, who also has been a big help and a, and a big uh, supporter of mine, I said, I think I'll ask Jack to be my presenter. She goes, well, don't forget about Barbara. She won the Bob Jones Award, too. So I said, oh, man, that's perfect. So I asked the both of them if they would uh, be my presenter. And they said, oh, sure. We really, you know, it was great, you know, that, that you asked us. And so we had, a, we had a really great time. It was during the U.S. Open at Shinnecock. And uh, so then the next year, I was. I I got a call on October the 4th in uh, 2018, and it was from Jack Peter, who was at the time in charge of the World Golf Hall of Fame. And he said, Dennis, uh, I'm calling to let you know you're a finalist for the 
World Golf Hall of Fame, and I'll call you next week at noon. So all week I was I was saying I got no shot, no chance, forget it. It's nice to be nominated, speech, and uh, so. But and I tried not to think about it, but that's all I could think about. And anyhow, the week went on, progressed very slow, and right at noon, just like he promised, uh, the phone rings and and he goes, "Hi, Dennis. This is Jack Peter." Immediately, hi, Dennis. This is Jack Nicholas. Hi, Dennis. This is Gary Player. They're all on a speakerphone, and he and the both wow. in, in the in the immediate the immediate thing I thought of. Well, you know, if Jack Nicholas and Gary Player are calling me, this can't be bad news. They're not calling me up to say, "Hey, nice try." <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> they said in unison, "We're calling to let you know you've just been elected to the World Golf Hall of Fame, and we were your advocate." And I'm going. Oh man, it's, I lost it. I started crying and everything. And I, I got done crying after a minute or so. And I said, man, oh man, you two must have done some sales job on these people because there were 16 voters. They're from China and Europe, Australia. And I'm saying, you know, I bet half these people never even heard of me. And, uh, so Jack says, no, that's not true, Dennis. He said, Every person in that room had heard of you, he said, but by the time the two of us got done, they heard a heck of a lot more. So I'm thinking, wow, Jack Nichols and Gary Player are your advocates. Who's going to vote against you? <laughs> you know? Right. So anyhow, that was, uh, that was amazing. And then I, I called Jack and Barbara up and I said, Hey, you think we could get the band back together? Would you guys do it again? And they go, sure. And, uh, it was it was magical. My sister was there with me, and uh, it was incredible because it was at Pebble Beach during the U.S. Open, and they had the most Hall of Fame members return for the service ever. It was like 35 Hall of Famers, and I, I was up on that podium, and you could only see about maybe eight or ten rows back because of the light, but I'm looking out there. And the guy who produced the show said, Dennis, take your time. He says, you got a great speech. Take your time. Look out. Enjoy the moment. And I said, okay. So I'd look out there and I'd say, wow, there's Lee Trevino. <laughs> and, and I'm going, there's Johnny Miller. And there's Gary. And there's Jack and Barbara. And, I'm, and my sister. And I'm just looking out there, you know. And I was soaking it all in. And it was just amazing. It really was an incredible situation, a credible evening and wow, I, I just uh it was amazing. So not only did you get into the World Golf Hall of Fame in twenty nineteen, you got into the New Jersey State Hall of Fame <laughs> as well. So talk about yeah. that. Talk about going back to your home state and getting into that Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was great. That was incredible. We uh we had a wonderful ceremony there and it was the thing I remember the most about that was it was right in the middle of all the political turmoil and everybody's arguing with everybody and can't have a civil conversation. But that night in that room, there were about five of us who who got in and uh, Billy Ziobro, an old buddy of mine, and I were the only ones that were living. So we we gave the speeches. The other people were represented by their family. But you could feel there was a lot of love in that room and there was no 
no political talk, no no uh, disagreements. Everything was positive, and I made note of that in my my talk, and it was fantastic. And i I met a lot of uh, I met a lot of people there I hadn't seen for a long time, and uh, uh, I played this one kid in the state junior, and he came up and talked to me about it, and he remembered it, and uh, it was just it was a wonderful evening, and uh, it was it was very special, and. I've been, uh, I just did a show at my favorite golf course of all time, the Hollywood Golf Club in Deal. And I, I, uh, I used to pick the range there. I picked it up with a sand wedge and a yellow bucket. We, we didn't have a picker. That's how you picked up the range. And, uh, if it got busy, they gave you a football helmet and you went out there and picked them up while people were hitting. <laughs> but, you know, there were all kinds of rules, I guess, back then, but nobody paid attention to them, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I love the Hollywood golf club and a group of folks from there came out to see me at uh, the ceremony. And, uh, so I was just there. They just restored the course back to the way it was by, um, the original design. And so it's just a spectacular place. And I, uh, I, I remember that well because it was, uh, I played Billy, Billy Ziobro in the juniors the year before, and he had this brown wedge. It was an R90 wedge with punch holes in it, in the face. And he got it up and down from everywhere. And I said, I got to get me one of these pubs. And so I went, when I got back, I lost, he beat me on the, the last hole. And I went back home and I, I went to his bag room in Hollywood and I found one. It was like in mint condition. It was like from the thirties and this was 66. So the thing was 30 years old then, but it was like brand new. And, uh, so I got my own and I, I ended up winning the tournament next year. And I used that club for a long time. And, uh, I remember I got this club and I'm going, Oh man, this thing's great. I took it out to the bunker and I'm, I'm hitting these bunker shots and they're stopping and spinning and everything and so the bag room guy said i said could i have this rock he goes yeah he said just put something in there so i had like an old sandy andy <laughs> they put it in there as a replacement you know and uh so that was uh those are all memories everybody has and these are these are ones that are they remain fresh in my mind and they always make me smile and uh i i just uh you know, that's that's the great thing about golf. You you, you have friends forever, and you, you can play golf for as, as long as you can. You can even play sitting down if you want. So it's uh it's it's a great it's a great game. It's a great sport that teaches us a lot more than just how to hit the ball long and straight. And a, a lot of the lessons I learned playing golf helped me to overcome this problem that I had to deal with. So it's uh. Uh, I'm a golf lifer, so I'm all in. I'm still, and I'm, I'm 72. I've got 35 shows in 70 days on this tour. It's so nice to be back to work and I've been having a really nice summer. I've got another le- little less than a month to go and I'll be home. I have a, a dog that is really, uh, spectacular. I, he's, he's relative. I've had him for a year and a half. And I taught him to hit a golf ball 
and he also answers questions. He's the opening act. So when people come to the show, I say, okay, here's the deal. When you go home, you're going to tell the people will say, well, how was that show? How was that golf show? And you'll tell them, well, I saw a talking dog that could hit golf shots. And then I'd like to be around to hear the rest of the conversation because (laughs) he can do it. He's special. And, uh, I, uh, I'm really lucky I found him. He's, he's the fifth one I've had. All of them have been rescued. And anybody looking for a dog or a cat, an animal shelter, a rescue group, it's a great place to begin your search. But I've had five of them. They're spectacular. And they actually just made a documentary on my career. And uh spoiler alert, the dog steals the movie. So, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Then it's just a couple more before I let you go, and you and you talk about friends. And we were brought together by a mutual friend, Russ Holden, who is the founder for Caddy for a Cure. And Russ and his organization have done so many great things for our wounded veterans. Talk about your relationship with Russ. Well, Russ and I are very good friends. We we're very close. I'm close with his family. His daughter Kayla is a is an up and coming, uh, very talented young player who plays for Tennessee. She's going to be a sophomore and she's a, a great gal and has a, has a great golf swing and a, and a, a very bright future. And, uh, I'm a big fan of Russ's, all the work, as you said, that he's done for, uh, wounded soldiers, people in need. And, uh, we, uh, last year when all the golf courses were closed, there was no place, there was no place to practice. And so I used to drive an hour, maybe four days a week, down to Broward County, and we used to practice at a vacant lot. The Heron Bay Golf Course was closed, and uh, we went out there, and we'd hit, hit balls, and you'd have to dodge the fire ants and the weeds, and there was no grass there, but uh, it was a lot of fun because it was the only game in town. It was the only way we could practice, and we had we had a blast doing that. Uh, Kayla would come with us and I'd practice work on my swing and hit all my trick shots. And so it was, it was great. We became very close because of that. And, uh, we had, uh, it was fun. We called it the Heron Bay golf and yacht club. And, uh, <laughs> it was fun because I had to drive down there. I left my stuff, my cart at, at his place. And then he lived about 10 minutes from there. So we, we'd, uh, I'd come down there, we'd hook up the trailer, we'd take it over, we'd get over there, and, you know, it's complicated for me. I just don't jump in a car and, and go, but we did it, and then the golf courses finally opened up, And but that that kept me going for at least six weeks, and it, it was fun. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, it was something different, and it, listen, I, I grew up kind of doing that, you know, hitting balls in a field, picking them up yourself, and uh, so it, it was great. Dennis, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with you, follow you online and on social media and go see your show? Yes. Well, it's, uh, the Dennis, it's the Dennis Walters golf, Dennis Walters golf shows, my website and, uh, dot com. Dennis Walters dot com is the website. And then I'm on, uh, Facebook and Twitter and 
I should have some news about the documentary. It's called Get a New Dream. And it tells the story of me uh, from laying paralyzed in a hospital bed to my life journey, which culminates in the World Golf, my induction into the World Golf Hall of Fame. And it's uh, it's really good. We're going to actually have a uh, showing of it in Fairfield, Connecticut, at the Community Theater at Sacred Heart University on next Tuesday, August the 24th. Anybody in Connecticut, metropolitan area wants to come up, it's going to be great. The theater itself holds like 300 people. and I've watched it on my phone and my tablet, but to see it on a real movie screen, that's going to be cool. So we're trying to get, uh, get a big turnout and have everybody see it. And then we're hoping to find a streaming service or some network that would like to play it. That's what they're working on now. But we're easy to find. And I hope people will look at my website and my schedule is always posted there. So if we're in your, in your area, come and see us. Well, Dennis, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of this show. It was an honor to have you here. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Chris. I, I enjoyed it very much and I wish you well and hope our paths cross real soon. I hope the same. Take care. Stay safe, Dennis. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you. That'd be great. Come on up to 24th. Watch the movie. That would be up awesome. Connecticut. I'll definitely yeah. be looking for it. And I'll be checking it out on your website. Hopefully you guys come around the Atlanta area sometime. I'd love to see you. Yeah, I'd love to. Take care. Take care, Dennis. That's World Golf Hall of Famer Dennis Walters. And what a wonderful man and what a wonderful contribution he has made to the game of golf and the impact he has had on so many lives. The title of the documentary, Get a New Dream, and that's what Dennis had to do. He had a dream for playing out on the PGA Tour, then he had to get a new dream. And that dream impacted thousands upon thousands of lives. He's had a positive impact on the game and on the people in the game and around the game. So kudos to Dennis, and I can't thank him enough for coming and being a part of the show. Hope the documentary gets out there on some of the streaming services. Can't wait to watch it, and also can't wait to have him back on the show again. You heard Tim Simpson say at the very top, right, what a wonderful man Dennis is, and to pass along his uh, his hello, and I will certainly do that uh, with Dennis. He's a super positive and a super talented guy. And folks, you got to see these trick shots. Unbelievable. With the broken club or the sort of really bendy club or a rubber club, a three-headed club, the shots he pulls off are absolutely unbelievable. It's a lot of fun watching. Go on YouTube. Check out Dennis Walter's golf show. You'll be able to see a lot of the events that he is at. It's absolutely spectacular, just like Dennis is. And hopefully we get him back on the show again soon. Okay, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tim Simpson, Kip Henley, Tom Stankowski, and Dennis Walters for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our good friend and resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Of course, he'll be back with us. As will Frank Nabilo. Always enjoy spending time with Frank. Former PGA Tour player David Ogren will also be making a return trip to the show. Looking forward to catching up with David. Then we're going to round out the show with the great 
golf landscape artist Linda Hartuff. And folks, if you haven't seen Linda's work, go online to her website, lindahartuff.com. You're going to be amazed at the great paintings and the wonderful landscapes that she does. Looking forward to having her here. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. If you've got a favorite podcast app, we're probably on it. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.